0: Listener Production. At the beginning, when I was starting Kian, I think I was so obsessed with having this five year map and vision of exactly what the product would look like and exactly what the services would be, exactly what the offering would be, and what our brand would stand for at the time. And I think over time, what I realized is everything changes and everything you learn changes and what you think you know changes. <laughs> and so I think like my biggest piece of advice would be like use the mission as your sort of North Star make sure that everything you're doing is aligned with your North Star, but don't think that you need like this blueprint of exactly what everything is going to be and just take it day by day, like take it piece by piece. Hey,
1: welcome to the Lady Brains podcast. We're your hosts, Caitlin Judd and Anna McKenzie, co-founders of
2: Lady Brains, a digital and IRL club for female founders and founders to be. We're chasing down the most successful female entrepreneurs from around the globe. Not only to hear their life story, but to extract their knowledge and world-class insights. If you're curious and ambitious, then Lady Brain, you are in the right place. Get ready for some hard-hitting truths, a dose of inspo, and learnings you can apply right away. Strap in.
1: At 25, Nicole Liu was misdiagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome and told that she might be infertile. Following that experience and without any background in health or even tech, She set out on a mission to raise the standards of women's reproductive health, and thus, Kim Fertility was born. Kim Fertility is the perfect example of a business that is doing things differently. It started out as a blog designed to give women the information they needed to make empowered choices about their reproductive health. And it's transformed into an online medical support network offering Australia's very first contraceptive pill subscription, as well as a range of other products and support services with qualified medical specialists. Today, she's surrounded by a great team of investors, employees and partners, who she all credits as having a huge impact on the success of Kin Fertility. Kin Fertility was launched in February 2020, and this platform aims to change the way lady brains manage their health. So we wanted to start, you know, when we speak to so many founders, they usually come with a background in something that they can apply to their business. But you are a solo founder. You don't have a tech background. You don't have a healthcare background, but you've managed to identify a need in an industry that is also highly regulated. So difficult to infiltrate. Why are you the best person to create this brand?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And it's a funny question as well, because it actually brings up So many feelings that I had when I actually started Kim, like the sort of like imposter syndrome that you start with. I didn't know whether I was the right person to start the brand in the beginning. So my background was in consulting and in venture capital. And I think like growing up with my parents doing a lot of small businesses and like sort of getting into the venture capital world, I've always wanted to build something. So I've always had that itch. But it wasn't until I sort of like went through my own, I guess, like fertility run in where I got misdiagnosed with PCOS and got told that I was infertile, that I really started thinking about fertility as this area that I was actually interested in because it sent me down this massive rabbit hole where I was looking for information and education around it. And it started making me realize like how much one, people don't talk about it. But also too, like the education around it is just lacking so much, both on like Dr. Google, but in general around people, when you talk to them about like getting advice for it. And so all of a sudden I became like really passionate about this problem and I knew I wanted to do something about it and I knew I wanted to build something. So that sort of came together. And I think like by the time it rolled into like, I really want to start working on this and build something in healthcare, we knew it was a big responsibility. Like healthcare isn't something that you can kind of half-ass. Someone trusting you with their healthcare information and like to take care of them, you can't really fool around with that. And we didn't want to do it the wrong way. And so very early in the piece, we brought on investors. So from the get-go, we had like designers, we had a legal person, we had healthcare advisors and specialists on board to tell us what was the right thing to do by the patient and like guide us. And so I never really felt I was doing it alone from the start. I always felt like I never had to be the exact right person with all the skill sets because I had all the support from people in the team around me. And knowing that I was doing the journey with them gave me a lot more confidence to sort of like get through the imposter syndrome (laughs) and really just get started.
2: It's pretty amazing. So you raised over a million dollars off the back of your idea, which is something that doesn't really happen that often in Australia. Mm. Like, how did you do that? Was it through (laughs) your own venture capital contacts that you started to kind of pitch this idea out and and get buying?
0: Well, it was actually a really interesting process in the sense that like when we got started, we didn't exactly know what it was going to be. So we knew it was going to be in healthcare. And we knew there was a problem. We focused on the problem. The problem being like people not having enough education around their fertility, not being enough proactive enough. And it just being a really unconscious problem that they basically like don't think about their fertility for the longest time until it becomes this all consuming thing. And it's Mm. everything you think about. And so like, how can we actually make that journey a lot easier? And I think the one of the first investors we talked to, um, Eucalyptus, they'd already been in healthcare. Um, Like it was something they were already investing in, they had a thesis around it. And so when I started talking to them, it was all of a sudden like this collision of worlds where they could see the problem and they believed in the problem rather than like necessarily knowing that the idea was going to work. And so knowing that the problem existed, knowing that they wanted to be part of that journey made them really just come on the journey with me really early.
1: So were you pitching at the time the pill subscription because that is where you did start or was it just simply you had this problem, this unconscious problem, which I love. I love that term that they were backing you on.
0: Yeah. So at the time it was like mainly focused on the problem, but we did have a couple of ideas. So when we started, it was like, we had a bunch of content out there already. So um, we had an Instagram page, we had guides where we had worked with a fertility specialist and um, really talented writers, sort of like write guides that were more easy to engage with, easy to digest and like still had the backing of a specialist. So the information was like definitely correct. And that got a lot of traction already. So we like knew that there was interest in this sort of education. And that was sort of like part of the ideas, part of the pitch. But then there was also the contraception. There was also like the fertility test, which um, we're planning to launch in like a month or so. And then there was just like this broader idea and broader vision around like, if this is a problem, this is like a potential platform that we can give to people to span their whole reproductive health. And we wanted to become that place where people could turn to for everything to do with their fertility and reproductive health. And so I think that was the vision they bought into rather than the specific ideas, because the specific ideas you always have to test into and make Mm. sure that people actually want it. And that took a lot more work. So how did you test
2: the idea in the beginning? What was like your MVP?
0: So when we started, so once we got investment, we like really doubled down on the content piece. So putting up more guides about like age and fertility, egg freezing, uh, male fertility and things like that. And that started getting traction. And as that started getting traction, we got like thousands of just like an audience of thousands of people who were like on our Instagram, reading the stuff, um, spending a lot of time on the guides. So like average was, I think, three minutes just like reading the guides, which is like pretty unheard of in the sort of like content blogging world. Mm. And so like we knew people were engaged. And so by the time we just like had a couple of ideas we wanted to test, we literally just threw a survey out into the audience and like interviewed multiple people in the audience and they, like, they wanted to talk. And so doing that a couple of times with the various ideas that we had gave us a lot more confidence to execute on the like certain ones that we wanted to do.
2: And so was there a really clear message from your audience that a pill subscription service was what they wanted?
0: Yeah. So, well, we had gone at the time we were like three women and we were in our 20s and we were all on the pill. So we were like, hey, what are the problems that we have with this? And it was like, convenience is an issue. We're constantly running out. You don't always get access to a doctor that when you need it, when you're about to run out. And say so like, we failed all these things. And so we were really like, to our audience, we were like, do you also feel this stuff? Mm-hmm. Like, or is it really just us? And the responses were quite overwhelming in the sense that people came back with more problems than we had, that we had even thought about. So things like people in regional areas actually have to wait like eight to 10 weeks to get access to a doctor. People in the city who have to like run into a doctor often pay like over $90 to go see a doctor last minute for a, often a two-minute appointment to get the same pill um, that they've been on for years. And so like we started learning about all these different problems that a sample of three of us (laughs) didn't necessarily think about. And that really spurred the like idea of like, okay, we really need to like do something because there is a problem here. And then as we sort of ideated, we threw the ideas back into the audience. And that was when they like were like, yes, this would be awesome. And we had an overwhelming positive response to that. And so we started building it. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's such an obvious problem. <laughs> it you know, is. You articulate it.
1: And like, and having to go into the doctors and wait for a two-minute appointment, pay $100, whatever yeah. it is, to get the medicine that you've been on, you know, for some people, years yeah. and years and years, nothing's changing. Yeah. It does seem like such an obvious yeah. problem. Why wasn't someone doing this in the first place?
0: <laughs> it's a good question. It was hard. As you mentioned, healthcare is a really regulated industry. And remember, this was pre-COVID. So we launched in January, probably like a couple of months before COVID hit. And so like telehealth wasn't a huge thing back then. People were still really skeptical. Um, there was a lot of questioning around like, is telehealth the right way to do it? Is it actually safe? You had to go through like a amount of regulations in mm-hmm. terms of like what you could say, but also like making sure that you're doing right by patients. And the technological build to actually do that from an engineering perspective was really, really big. Again, you can't build a MVP version of this. Like you have to kind of start with a really good experience because you just can't screw it up. Mm. Um, And so that investment in itself from a time perspective, from a designing and like understanding regulation perspective was huge. How long did that process take you? I would say like probably four months end to end. But it was one of those things where you start with the idea a couple of months beforehand, you like play around with it. And then when we like literally just went, hey, this is like a decision, we're going to go for it. That process took four months.
1: So you've built your own telehealth platform that you use. Is this something that you can white label and license out?
0: Probably. Um, it's probably not something we would want to do, but yeah, I think so. Probably. Probably more, great. More I mean, to there's so many that. options because yeah.
1: you could have... why didn't you use uh, an existing platform?
0: Yeah, well for us, the existing platforms, when we basically took a step back and we were like, what do we actually want for the patient? we kind of went you know there's a lot of things out there that are doctor focused so like mm-hmm. platforms for the doctor to help serve the patient there are platforms for pharmacies to be able to deliver things to the patient but there wasn't this end to end service for the patient which was how can like the patient see the doctor and then get the pill delivered to them from the pharmacy on a regular basis and so like taking it from the patient perspective and like wanting an end to end journey made us want to do it ourselves because it was more customizable. We could have more control of the experience, which was really important to us at the time um, and still is. Yeah, I think just like nothing we really saw in the market suited what we wanted to do. And we knew we wanted to like build this out properly. So we went from there.
2: So how did you acquire your first customers when you launched last year in Jan?
0: Yeah, so it was really interesting. As we were sort of like doing the content side of things, Mm. we sort of already had an audience. So that Mm. got up to like probably four to five thousand by the time we were launching because it was like taking us probably from start to finish six months the whole time to like do the content piece.
2: And that was on Instagram? I was, or was on that Instagram your own email well list?
0: As, yeah, email li- or like website Yeah. Um. at the yeah. time. And at the time it was like focused on fertility. So we had h- had ideas of doing this fertility test which we planned to launch. Uh, so the audience was already like on the younger end. They were on contraception and they were curious about their fertility. So that was already the audience we had. So by the time we like were one we were already talking to them about it so by the time we launched on the first day we just emailed them and we were like hey this thing that you've been telling us that we should build we actually went out and built it go see if you might like it and the response from there was really really amazing like we sort of soft launched them and just went from there Were there any kind of kinks or
2: hiccups that you experienced
0: (laughs) in the launch? Yeah, well, um, so we had tested it ourselves like so many times. So like from a patient perspective, I don't think there were too many kinks. Although I think from a delivery perspective, we like fixed a lot of things to make sure we could scale. Mm. Um, But I think like the biggest challenge at that time was talking to people, especially doctors about it, who had never really seen this experience thought out start to finish. And, like, at the time, there was so much skepticism around, like, telehealth and being able to, like, send medications to Mm. people and, like, whether that was safe. And a lot of that skepticism came from people who were, like, brushing telehealth with one brush. And they didn't go through our experience or give it a chance before they started, like, talking about it and, like, saying things on social media and stuff like that. So that was probably, like, a Mm. challenge we had to overcome. But, yeah, I think at the end of the day, when we looked at their comments, we were like, you clearly haven't gone through the process to, like, understand how we're addressing the concerns you're raising and so we're just going to keep doing this because we know we're doing right by the patient. And hopefully like the industry will catch up. Mm. What are some of
1: the ways that you build trust between your doctors and your patients? Because obviously, mm. you know, you, you're not face-to-face. Yep. you online. I know you've got the text chat. You know, you've got surveys that you can fill out. Yeah. How do you build in that kind of warmth and personality and build trust between the two parties?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. When we started the brand, we were very adamant that We didn't want a typical healthcare company in the sense that like it was cold and clinical and medical. While that's all really, really important and we like have that in parts of our brand, um, we really wanted to be like a friend, like a best friend that had specialist information that just happened to know a lot about reproductive health. And so that's sort of like what we built into the brand voice and sort of like the design of the brand. Um, We really just wanted to come off as like a friendly place that happened to look after your health. And then like making sure there's specialist backed and everything. But I think a major part of like building trust is less about like the things that you put into the brand, but it's actually more about the promises that you make and the promises that you keep. And I think for us, a big part of the promise was the doctors are going to make sure they're going to like look through all your information. They're going to be so comprehensive and they're going to give you the pill that is hopefully the best for you and like make sure they're like listening to you. And our doctors from the start did that. We would help them make sure that they were like looking through all the information from the patient and making sure that they felt comfortable with all the information they had in order to make calls around prescribing the patient or not. And I think through that process of like learning what the doctors need in order to feel that way and like giving them the two-way communication channels to talk to the patient, that added trust and that created like really good reviews on the other end. And so that, those reviews have sort of like helped us build trust for people coming in and it's like this flywheel that keeps going. Mm-hmm. Love mm-hmm. that. It's a great way to build trust. Mm-hmm. And to just have that kind of feedback coming back
1: to you to understand yeah. where you can improve.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I want to talk about the life cycle because the life cycle of your customer is so long. <laughs> I mean, you know we, ha- we know, we understand that from the beginning, maybe when you're starting to think about going on the pill through to trying to get pregnant and then obviously, you know, beyond that, it can be it's a lifetime. It's a <laughs> long time, and which is really exciting prospect for you and for the business. Mm. How do you ensure that, you know, you're giving everyone what they need at every single stage, um, especially during those moments of transition, which can yeah. be personally confronting, yeah. but when you are engaging with a brand or, you know, a business that you're hoping will trust you with their information, how do you, how do you give them what they need in those moments?
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's very nuanced in the sense that, There's no one answer. There's no silver bullet, Mm. right? For contraception, the biggest thing for them was around convenience and quality of care. And so like at every point of the journey, we're really like going, trying to really understand deeply what people really care about, what people really want and sort of just like building the product around them. I think like the mistake we probably made earlier was thinking that we knew what products people would want and like testing Mm. that with people. I think as we moved on from contraception and started doing more things around conception and fertility what we're realizing is like, we need to understand the problems first Mm. before we like pitch ideas. So that's sort of the big process that we've gone through in the couple last couple of months. A lot of the big projects we've run is really just talking to people and talking to people along the journey and just like having an open conversation around, you know, what problems are you experiencing? What do you think the root causes of it are? What do you think will actually help you? What would you have liked to be told at this time? And just like doing that a lot, really getting to the root cause of what people are thinking And then building a service and an offering around that rather than coming from it the other way around.
2: I absolutely love that. I think Mm. understanding the problem and then designing the service around that problem Mm. is just so critical. Can you give us an example of how you actually tackled that process, say, with the fertility test that you're about to launch?
0: yeah. What would that um, look like? <laughs> that? Yeah, that's been a really long process. So like <laughs> we um, we started that pre-COVID and we put it on hold due to COVID just because it didn't feel like a safe thing to tell people to go to pathology labs to do. But I think the first part of that idea and the seed of the idea was the fact that people are actually having children later. And we were like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Like, And there are definitely like different implications of that. As you age, the unfortunate reality is that your fertility does decline. And so how do people think about that? And we started talking to people more and more And I think the thing that came out a lot was that people know it's a thing that they have to deal with, but they don't have anything to do. There's nothing actionable they can do when they're like 25 or they didn't feel like there was anything actionable they can do. And so it was like, oh yeah, I know it's going to be a problem and I know I want to like potentially delay having kids, but I don't know what I can do about it. Like it's just a problem for future me. But at the same time they were grappling with, it was like his cognitive dissonance, grappling with this idea of like, I do want to know more. I do want more knowledge but I don't really know where to start. And it's because it's a problem for the future and it's a little bit sometimes an unconscious problem. There's no real like will to do anything. And so we were like, okay, well, we know it's a problem. We know it's going to be a problem in the future. How do we help people proactively before either they know it's a problem or like before it is a problem? And so for us, we started talking to like specialists, doctors, and we were like, is there anything around this space? What information is useful for a 25-year-old when they're thinking about their fertility but don't know how to navigate it? And one of the sort of like things that came up was when you're conceiving, after you've tried like six to 12 months, people often get a fertility test. And that fertility test is usually given to you after you've been trying and like haven't been successful. And so like it kind of occurred to us that that felt really backwards. Like Mm, why wouldn't you be able to do that test earlier to like get that information about your body around your fertility before you had to like wait six to 12 months To do that, Mm -hmm. and so we started like looking into that more, and we realised that it was possible to give that to people proactively, and so that's sort of like the seed, and we started from there.
2: So I'm curious. You obviously have, as Caitlin said, a very sort of long customer life cycle, and there are very clear stages that Mm -hmm. women go through in Mm -hmm. terms of the fertility life cycle. How do you track your customers (laughs) transitioning through those stages, and how do you make sure that all of your communication is relevant and timely?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. At the moment, we really have just gotten started from like, a, like that transition perspective. So only a couple of months ago, did we launch into sort of the conception, pregnancy and postpartum phase. So for us, it's been relatively simple in the sense that people opt into the journey that they're in. So like if someone is pregnant, they'll like opt into a looking into a product in the pregnancy space, like a virtual consultation. If they're conceiving or thinking about starting family soon, they'll actually start looking into like the virtual consultation around what do I need to know um, when I'm conceiving or they'll look into the educational piece or they'll actually look for a prenatal, which is something we've recently launched. So it's been relatively simple in that sense that people opt into that and we sort of talked with them through that. Mm -hmm. But in the future, we definitely hope to get more sophisticated and like actually be more personalized in the sense that people will have like a profile where they tell us about, you know, their age, um, what part of the journey they're on, what their goals are, when they plan to have children or like things like that and even things around their reproductive health that might help us personalize content for them or personalize advice for them
2: it's interesting there are so many businesses that sort of speak to customers along a life cycle, like I just think about our business. We speak to to people from a founder to be all the way through to like a late stage founder. And so that's something that we're trying to navigate as well. It's Mm. like, how do you make sure that the communication is super relevant and at the right time for the customer? So
1: It's definitely a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, for so many businesses. And you're often told, you know, focus on the one segment. (laughs) It's like, why why are you focusing on the life cycle? But it's like, well, it's the problem that you're focusing on that, you know, continues to transcend Mm. each cycle, each stage of someone's life.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, And it
1: does require that focus. Yeah.
0: I mean, for us, the fertility journey has been really interesting because like, I think the bigger problem we realized very early on was that care products and education around fertility is Mm. so fragmented. Mm. Like you look at a supplement for um, like conceiving and you've got a different brand that is just focusing on supplements or just focusing on pregnancy tests. And what that means for a lot of women is when they're looking for like how to conceive, they're all of a sudden looking at all these different websites that are telling them like somewhat different things. And so we really wanted to become that one place that women could trust for the information that will help them on their journey and like the products and the like specialists that will help Mm. them on their journey. Mm. Um, And so that's sort of been like the journey that we've been on. Have you had any issues with kind of educating the customer that
2: you're more than just a pill subscription? Because you obviously started there and you were very niche in in that sense. But now you're expanding into other stages, other products, other services, but- there may still be a perception that you're a pill brand.
0: Yeah, for sure. So how do you tackle that? Yeah, well, it's been a really interesting Mm -hmm. challenge over the last few months because like, you're right, we went from a pill brand and now all of a sudden we're like doing the opposite of what a pill does, which is conceiving. And so it's been really interesting because like in a lot of ways, we're not serving the same customers. The members that we have on the contraceptive pill, they're not thinking about conceiving for a long time. And there's a small portion of them that are and like we're sort of like holding their hand into the next stage. And that's been really nice. But for a lot of the people, they're sort of like seeing us for the first time. And so we're almost starting from scratch as a brand for the first time. And they're coming in with like not a lot of knowledge about like us as a contraceptive brand, but they're seeing us as like a more holistic fertility brand. But I think moreover, like the thing about a brand is like, you know, you make promises and then you keep them. And like, that's what keeps people like perception around you changing and like evolving. And so for us, it's really like, okay, if we're going to do the conception space and really like help women around that, we're going to make promises that is different to the market and hopefully like good value prop. And people are going to go in and we're going to meet their promises and we're Mm going to like do that no matter what. And the more we do that, the more we'll build trust, the more we can like use the word of mouth and the like reviews to help us build that part of our brand up and hopefully sort of over time build up. perception that we are more holistic. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Do you have
2: specific sort of customer acquisition strategies for every segment? Do you tackle them differently?
0: Mm. We have similar strategies in the sense that like our marketing is very much like we test specific messages um, with like a low cost Facebook advertisement, for example. And then based on the reactions to that, then we'll either double down or we'll like stop doing that because it doesn't work. Um, So that's stayed the same across every sort of like market we've tackled. I think though, it would be silly to try and use the same strategy across everything Mm -hmm. because a contraceptive customer who's 25, who is like scrolling social media is not going to be the same person who is like conceiving really like doing their research to understand what the product is, what their journey is, what they need to do and like doing all this like upfront research and caring about like, you know, what is relevant to me? Is this the right information for me? They're a very different type of person. And so the channels that you might reach them in, the type of messaging and the type of strategies of messaging them um, will be very different. And so we're sort of like on the first part of like learning that at the moment. Mm.
1: You've just recently released the prenatal supplement, which I want to learn more Mm -hmm. about. Because I imagine it's not easy, you know, creating a product like that. Mm. What's different about yours and how was the process of creation?
0: Yeah, so we, um, very early on this piece, we started talking to like every specialist under the sun, but one of them was like a dietitian and a nutritionist. And one of the things that came up um, in our conversations was like the prenatals that are on the market, like the big ones. A lot of doctors um, and a lot of people talk about like the use of folic acid in a prenatal. And that's the thing that a lot of people quote as well. The thing is like one in three women can't absorb folic acid really well, which means like you're not taking in the benefits of folic acid. And there's basically an activated form of folate called methylated folate um, that you can put into the prenatal to make sure that everyone can absorb it really well. That was like the genesis of the insight that we started with. And then we went on this whole process of like, okay, well, why don't we create a better prenatal? Because it's one of the key things that women need when they're at the start of the conception journey. And we know that we can do better. And we know that we don't want to compromise on like the ingredients. We know that there are more bioavailable and absorbable forms of each of the ingredients, not just folic acid. And we think we can create something that will help women more. And so that process actually started 18 months ago. We kind of like had already chatted about that. But the thing about physical products, especially Mm. supplements, especially supplements for people who are conceiving (laughs) is that you have to go through a process. Like it's not, I'm actually really glad that the process took so long because it's good for the consumer at the end, right? Mm. Like we had to go through all this regulation, all this testing. We had to go through COVID um, Mm. and all the delays related to that. And a lot of like consumer testing and making sure that, you know, we're putting the right things in there and they were actually receiving the benefits out of that. And so like that was a huge process, but now we've got something on the market that I think we can be really, really proud of. And we hope we'll like solve a lot of the things that the women who are taking the other ones mm. are, uh, are facing.
2: Did you pull on experts to help you navigate that process around regulations and approvals and all of that? Like, how, how,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how do you know what's up? I'm well, like, <laughs> well, the funny thing was like, I think at the beginning, I naively thought it would be easier. So no, at the beginning... But I think the interesting thing is like when you're starting a process that you literally have no idea about, you don't know what you don't know. Totally. <laughs> and so like with supplements, we didn't know half the time what regulatory processes we needed to go into. Um, there were so many nuances in it. Like I was like, oh, we just need this application and we need a manufacturer. No. <laughs> <laughs> and there was also packaging requirements, labeling right. requirements. And so at the end... When we got to like, when we literally just kept hitting our head against the wall, we brought in external consultants to Mm. help us understand regulation, help us understand what the process actually was. We got connected with a really great manufacturer, um, a really great packaging manufacturer as well. And so like pulled all those things together. And it wasn't until like probably six or so months in where we actually felt like we knew where we were standing and like where we had to go. So yeah, that was definitely a process.
2: (laughs) What has been the hardest product to bring to market?
0: oh, definitely the prenatal. Especially because it was an industry where like, one, we didn't know the process. We were still understanding the science behind a lot of the ingredients we're putting in and we had to bring experts for that. And also just because it took so long. Like uh, you kind of get fatigue after a while as well when you're like constantly pushing something ahead for a while, waiting on other people and like getting it back. And like obviously COVID pushed that back way more than we thought as well. And I think a big part of what was difficult about it was A lot of the stuff around the pill subscription, like that was completely in our control. Like we could build it. We could design it the way we want. We can make sure we're like hitting regulations well because like we knew the regulations. Whereas with the supplement, it was very much every single time we needed to reassess and go like, okay, is this better for the patient? Okay, what are the trade-offs that people are making? Like a lot of the times it was costs and stuff. And we kind of had to keep going like, we're not going to make these trade-offs. Okay, it's getting more expensive. Okay, it's going to take longer. We had to keep believing that it would be better. Mm. Um. And so that made it like really, really difficult. And I think just a whole lot of navigating it for the first time. Mm. You obviously built
1: it through COVID, which I mean, that is a challenge in and of itself, right? And we've Mm. spoken to a lot of founders that have actually said, obviously, obviously it's impacted the business and there Mm. were challenges, but they also had some beautiful insights Mm. that have helped improve the business. Mm. What did you learn through, through COVID and how has it made your business stronger?
0: Yeah. One of the biggest things for us during COVID was if you think about the promise we were making with the pill subscription, we literally told people we would make getting the pill easy and convenient and safe. And when COVID hit, it made it infinitely harder to do that. Yeah, But it was a promise we made and it was a promise we had to keep because the pill isn't something you mess around with. Like if that's delayed by three days, it's not okay. The implications of that are very high. And so the thing we sort of like, went back to our roots on um, back then that we've held on now was just like we had to, one, make sure we keep our promise and handhold every patient to make sure they got their pill and focus on every single patient as if they were literally like our personal patient, as well as just like make sure the transparency is there when we communicate to them. Because for us, the pills were running out left, right and center, like people were hoarding it. And so all of a sudden, a lot of the pills that people had ordered from us were out of stock. Regulations kept changing. So all of a sudden you couldn't order like three boxes from us. You had to order one um, and we couldn't change that. And people just kept rolling in faster than we were really ready for at the time. And so as that was all happening, we really just had to go, okay, okay. Every single patient, if we know there's something wrong, if we know there's a chance, just a slight chance, that they might not get their pill, we've got to talk to them, we've got to be honest with them, we've got to find a pharmacy that will get them their pill and we're gonna tell them how to get it. We're gonna like fast track as many pill deliveries and do it ourselves if we have to. And so we really went to great lengths to make sure that no matter what, we were gonna make sure that we were gonna keep our promise and we were gonna like make sure people were getting their pill. That transpired in a lot of really great reviews through a really tough period. And so even in times where we were like, hey, guys, this sucks and your pillars run out. People were really happy with us in the sense that like mm. at least they were getting told, especially in like a world of uncertainty that they were in at the time being COVID, having a little bit of certainty of like, at least I know that it is out of stock or it isn't was really helpful to them. And I think that we've just held on constantly. So every time like we know there's a chance something will go wrong or something is wrong, we're just really, really honest with them.
2: Pretty amazing that that experience resulted in some (laughs) incredible customer reviews. And I remember Mm -hmm. back in my retail days, it was always like a customer complaint or an opportunity for a customer complaint. If you can turn that around into a great Mm -hmm. experience, they're the best reviews you'll ever get. Mm -hmm. What was happening on the inside at that point in your team? Like Mm -hmm. it must have been Mm -hmm. a crazy period. How did you guys manage that as a team? And You know, did you bring on more people? Was everybody pitching in? Was it chaos? Like
1: (laughs) Take us behind the scenes. Or was everyone just sipping pina coladas and just, you know, (laughs) sending out
0: emails? (laughs) It was hectic. Like I think at the very start of it, like we barely knew what was going on. Like it had started coming up on the news and we were like seeing people like come onto that site a lot more, but we didn't really understand what it was what Mm -hmm. was gonna happen. And by the time we realized everything was just like chaotic. Regulations were changing. Pills were flying off the shelves. Things were just running out and we didn't have time to hire. And so all of a sudden, oh, like, yeah. yeah, it was less about acquire, acquire, like members and grow, grow, grow. It was actually just make sure we can service the people mm-hmm. who have already trusted us with their health. And so, yeah, we just really went back to, the, it was like hectic. I think with the few people that we have, we were like calling the pharmacy all day, calling doctors all day, um, constantly firefighting um, left, right and center it felt hectic and I think by the time we had finally set up like systems um, mm. and had the chance to like breathe and set up systems to help make sure we can scale that was when we were like okay now we need people um, mm. and we need them fast and yeah and we had to hire basically without seeing people like it was all through Zoom they started and we were onboarding them via Zoom um, to obviously be sure they were safe, that was just the whole process, you mm. had to learn to communicate a lot better, mm. communicate a lot more and do it in a way that wasn't face-to-face and wasn't like, hey, I'm just going to walk over and talk to this person. Mm. So that was really difficult. What have you learned in
1: the hiring process? Because I imagine Mm -hmm. it's not easy, you know, regardless of how old you are. I mean, you are young, you're 26 Mm -hmm. and often we don't have those kind of leadership or hiring um, experiences. Mm -hmm. What have you learned through this? Do you have someone that helps you does it come naturally to you?
0: (laughs) I think a little bit of both. Like I think part of it is like, can they do the job? Yeah. And you've just got to get really good at asking the right questions. And I don't think I was necessarily good at that for the first few interviews I tried. So like making sure that you're doing that properly because that's your filtering process. Like you don't you don't get to, as I naively believed at the, at the beginning, to walk into an interview and just like talk to someone mm. um, very casually. Like that's definitely part of it. But mm. like in order to make sure they can actually do the job, there's certain things you've got to test. And so making sure you include that into the process. But the other part of it is, do you actually want to work with this person? Like this person is going to be by your side all the time, helping you build your vision. And they're hopefully going to contribute in a way that is not part of their job description. Like you want them to be Mm -hmm. part of the company and own the company. And so from that perspective, it was like, do I want to spend time with this person? Do I really like this person? Do I have a good gut feel about this person? I think that I probably like overweight a lot more in my decision making.
2: So we kind of want to break it down. You know, I think sharing the stories of success is really amazing and inspiring, but also building a business is bloody hard. Mm -hmm. Like it is such a challenge. What do you find most challenging about being a founder?
0: Oh, good. I've struggled with this my whole life, but I think one of the things I really had trouble with was showing my work to other people and some people just not liking it. Mm. Um, like I think part of my previous life um, being a consultant, like everything's actually really private. You have confidentiality agreements with your clients and like you kind of only show them. And so only they have the right to tell you whether it was like good or not. I've always been a people pleaser my whole life. Like, I want everyone to love me. <laughs> 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 and so all of a sudden when like the website launched, even when it was just content and especially when like the pill launched, all of a sudden I opened it up to anyone in the whole world with like internet access to judge me and like mm. judge whether it was like a good thing I was doing, if my intentions were right, if, um, if it was even a good service, if the experience was great, if the brand looked nice. All these things all of a sudden became open to everyone. And I think like, I really struggled because it was so nice seeing everyone we've been able to help. And like, we've gotten 2000 reviews, uh, five star reviews on product review recently. And that's been a huge milestone. And so, like, we're really proud of that. But every now and then, like, you know, just people on social media saying, like, you know, questioning my intentions or mm-hmm. questioning whether we're even doing the right thing or just like saying mean things. That was really hard to deal with. But I think, like, over time, I've just had to overcome it in the sense of, Not everyone is going to be one, a customer of your product, but not everyone's going to like you and that's okay Mm. because you're not doing this for them. You need to focus on the 99% Mm. of people who you're actually helping and who want to engage with you on this and want to like build this with you and be on that journey with you rather than the people who just like want to say mean things. So yeah, that's, that's been quite a journey, but it was really tough at the beginning. Mm. Yeah. That will
1: resonate with a lot of people. Mm, Just coming back to the customer, coming back to the vision. like, why are you doing this in the first place?
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. What's one thing that your business is crying out for right now?
0: Well, actually one thing that it's on our roadmap and we want to do, and I probably just wanted to do it yesterday is just build a more explicit community. Like it's one of those things where we've got Mm. a community, we've got people, but I don't think we've actively been able to engage them and like help them actually engage together as a community. So that's definitely something that I would have wanted ages ago. Um, It's just something that's definitely on our roadmap and we want to do. But yeah. How will you do that? Good question. We don't know. It's a really interesting thing with like a lot of the things we do because we like never know when we start, but we know how we're going to approach it in the sense that like we're just going to ask them um, Mm -hmm. and like really just understand like how they would like to engage with other people, how they would like to receive, I guess like the feeling of community and like what that actually means to them and sort of build something based on that.
2: We always like to give our guests the opportunity to shout out to another Lady Brain who has helped them on their business journey. If you could choose just one person, one woman who's helped you, who would it be?
0: All right. (laughs) So her name is Jenny Chu. She is our product lead at Kin and she's honestly like her background was she was ex atlassian product manager. Wow. And she has helped me so much in terms of just developing my thinking on like how to think about product, how to make sure we're always thinking problem first and how to make sure we're always thinking customer first. And that's really helped with a lot of the decisions we've made along
1: the way. Shout out to Jen.
2: Jenny. Jenny.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, um, Nicole, we'd love to know what's your best piece of business advice for all the listeners.
0: All right. So I reckon at the beginning when um, I was starting Kin, I think I was so obsessed with having this five-year map and vision of exactly what the product would look like and exactly what the services would be, exactly what the offering would be and what our brand would stand for at the time. And I think like over time, what I realized is everything changes and everything you learn changes and what you think you know changes. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so my biggest piece of advice would be like, use the mission as like your sort of North Star and like make sure that everything you're doing is aligned with your North Star. But don't think that you need this blueprint of exactly what everything is going to be and just take it day by day, like take it piece by piece. Because as you're bringing people along the journey, you get to talk to them about how to build the next part and next chapter. And I think if I knew that earlier, I probably wouldn't have stressed out about like not feeling like I knew what five years down the track would look like.
2: I love that. It is um, a very similar piece of advice that Joe Horgan from Mecca gave, which mm-hmm. is find your North Star, but everything under that is flexible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a great piece of advice. And a great way to leave it on. Yeah. Okay, here are the top three things that we took away from this chat. Number one, when you're in the early product development stage, spend most of your time defining the customer problem. Talk to your customers, understand their pain points, identify the root causes of their problems and design your offering around that, not the other way around. Secondly, start by targeting just one customer segment before expanding your product, your service, or your comms to target others. It might be really tempting to try and go after lots of different customers. After all, I'm sure your product or service could benefit lots of different kinds of people. But be really clear and strategic about where you're spending your energy and your resources. And lastly, you don't know what you don't know, and you cannot know it all. Pull in the experts to help you in areas of your business that are really challenging or unfamiliar to you. Asking for help can be one of the hardest things to do, but know this, it is so much easier if you have others with you on the journey. Thank you so much, Nicole. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the subscribe button to get epic insights from all of our other chats. And to join the conversation, head across to our Facebook group, just search Lady Brains and you'll find us. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Kin Fertility. Kin Fertility is offering Lady Brains listeners 10% of their new prenatal product. Just use the code LADYBRAINS10 at thekinfertility.com.au checkout. Offer valid until September 30, 2021. LADYBRAINS is hosted by Anna McKenzie and Caitlin
1: Judd. The producer is Brooke Carrigan. Audio production by Matt Nikolic. A listener production.